Let's take our Bibles again tonight. Go back to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, and uh, we are going to continue on where we left off last week and try to finish up this, the message tonight from Acts chapter 18. We're looking at a message entitled Confronting, Confronting Corinth, and uh, we're looking at the importance of confronting our culture. Our culture is not getting better. It's getting worse. It's getting farther from God, and these are critical times where we just need as, as a church and as God's people to confront our culture head on with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter 18 of Acts, let's start here in verse 4, and we will read down to verse 11. Acts chapter 18, verse 4, down to verse 11, okay? I'll, tell you, I'll follow me as I read tonight, please. And he reasoned in the synagogue and every Sabbath, and he persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified uh, to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment, and he said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered to a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, uh, be not afraid, but speak, hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Father, use your word tonight to speak to us. We do pray for it to be a sharpened, two-edged sword that would pierce and, uh, our hearts to the dividing asunder of our soul and our spirit. Father, you know tonight we need spiritual surgery. And you know tonight we need you to just cut through some things and cut through perhaps our density, our hardness of heart. Deliver us this evening from having evil heart of unbelief. I pray for a church that has a church planting desire. I pray for a church where every member would desire to do the work of an evangelist. I pray for a church tonight where, God, we desire souls to be saved and to capture our area for Christ. I pray for a church this evening where every member here this evening would have a desire of being a great soul winner that you can use. Father, give us power. Give us liberty. We pray for holiness tonight. We pray to be holy listeners. I pray to be a holy preacher. I pray, God, tonight that you, the Holy Spirit would have great liberty to work in our hearts in this passage of Scripture. We'll thank you for what you'll do tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We said last week as we started this passage how Paul, God led Paul from the city of Athens. We saw that from the previous section, or chapter 18, verse 1. God led him from Athens, which was pretty much the intellectual uh, city of, that, of the Grecian culture, to the, if you would, the cosmopolitan area. He led him from the intellectual center to the worldly center of, of the world. And there in Corinth, Paul is in, the, in, is in the, the isthmus called Greece. He's there ministering there. And of course, if you know anything about that area, we said about the fact that it was, a, it was an area where everybody went to. It was, there were two different trade routes that kind of went into that area, two different seaports by which people entered in, and many, many seafarers, many mariners, many, many merchants made their way there, so it was a great hub and place of business. Uh, uh, Corinth, if you would, was called the business center of the world. It was a very prominent place. It was a very worldly place. It was a very materialistic place. It was a place, basically, that, uh, that uh, you would not let your children go out at night. And nestled in the back there, if you got out of the port there at Corinth and you made your way walking inside the city, you couldn't help but notice about 1,800 feet above sea level was a great mountain, a great area where, where the, the temple of Aphrodite was. And it was one of the temples of Aphrodite. And this temple of Aphrodite was a place where, where there was uh, the worship of Aphrodite, but at night it was, it was a place that was served by a thousand, thousand women who at nighttime would descend from that place and it would be a place of great darkness in the evening where they would ply their trade of prostitution and things of that nature there. And so when you, when you read through the book of Ephesians and we read through the book of Corinthians, we have a, somewhat of an idea of just the, the culture that Paul was dealing with there. This, perhaps, of all the cities he went to was probably the most difficult city, was perhaps the most hardened culture, was perhaps the most materialistic culture. Quite honestly, uh, everything I read about this, every time I read through Corinthians... 
And I come to this section of chapter 18 of Acts, it just kind of reminds me of the Bay Area. It was just a darkened culture. It was a depraved culture. It was a culture that desperately needed God. Now, a lot of times, when I mentioned this last week, when I talked about the calling of God on Paul, that a lot of times I always question young men, or men in, in general, as they, they feel they have a calling to a particular area and city, I always ask this question, why isn't it that they don't get a calling or burden for the big city and the big areas and the, and the, and the areas where the culture is just is right in your face? And this was a city that was right in your face. And you have to remember, when Paul went there, there were no other missionaries. There were no other church planters there. In fact, when Paul was there, just the whole concept of church planting and missionary work was just unfolding at that time. I mean, Paul was writing the lectures and the books on all of this there. So we get to chapter 18, and Paul's trying to figure out how to confront the culture. And we see in verses 1 to 3, just by way of review, as Paul is trying to figure all this out, you know, one of the things we think about is, you know, how I'm going to get it done, and is anybody going to send, am I going to have any helpers with me? You know, when you go into a city, or you go sewing by yourself, it's a little daunting, if to say the least, sir. You know, you just, it's one thing to knock on 25, 50 doors, but if you've got a city of 100,000 people or 700,000 people, and you're all by yourself, you're just thinking, man, how am I going to conquer this? And you know you've got God's power, and you know you've got God with you, but just humanly speaking, you feel a little bit overwhelmed, and you feel like you need some manpower. And as we get to chapter 18, verse 2, we see where Paul, God provided Paul with two really good longtime friends. By the way, how many are thankful for longtime friends? Amen? I'm just thankful for friends that God gives us. And, you know, church ought to be the place where we build some good long-term friendships. And church ought to be a place where it should not be difficult for you to bond. I'm thankful just a, about a year and a half ago, God brought Brother, Brother Munoz and his family to our church. And they really didn't know anybody here, Brother Eugene. You guys didn't know anybody. But they started making friendships very quickly here in the church. And, and that's been a blessing there. And, and uh, it was just kind of like when they, when they came on board here, this it's like, you know, we've known each other for years there, and we have, of course, common friends that we know on the outside that kind of pull that together, but it's just a wonderful thing. And I think about over time, as all of you here tonight, as, as God has brought us here to this church, that God has just kind of brought us together, and we just have a similarity about things, and we have a common heart. And God gave two, a couple there, Aquila and Priscilla, to come alongside of Paul. Now, we'll say more about them in a future message, but they were a blessing. And I'm going to tell you tonight, it's a, it's a blessing when, when God raises up laymen who stay in a church and get their roots in deep and just decide to stick it out there and come alongside of the work of God and be a blessing. And uh, they did that. And they brought Paul into their business. You look at chapter 18, verse 3. They brought Paul into their business. He didn't really, you know, he didn't have any money. He ran out of money, to be honest with you. And whatever money he had, he exhausted all of that. And he's down there court. They said, well, you need some money. You need a place to stay. And they said, we've got a business here. Well, let's bring you in and we'll set you up. And whatever you sell, that'll be yours. And you can kind of work from there. And they were in the same train. I mean, it was a marvelous thing how God worked that. But Paul was not in Corinth for a job. And Paul was not in Corinth for a career. Paul was in Corinth to confront the culture of Corinth. Paul was in Corinth to win souls. Paul was in Corinth to plant a church, okay? We ought to get excited about church planting. Now, in a few days, uh, we're going to get a report that I'm going to tell the church about. For the last several years, I think for almost eight or nine, maybe ten years now, our church has participated with the National Church Planters Conference that Southwest Baptist Church and Heartland Baptist Bible College has over in Oklahoma City. And uh, we, we, when I can be there, I try to go there, and it's a marvelous event. I hope to take some of our staff guys there next year, and just so they could just experience firsthand what it's like. It's just a marvelous event. But I've had opportunity to participate in it. I've had opportunity to preach in it. And I'm telling you, it is, a, it is, it is an invigorating event, very encouraging event. And just there's just a sweetness there, a fellowship with all the men that are there. But uh, this year, we just got the report from Brother Copes, and Brother Copes shared they raised up about, I think, about 50,000 more than they did last year, which is good. I mean, they raised 500,000 one-time gifts and monthly support of over $9,800 for probably 200 church planters that were there, represented, that were represented there, who needed to raise funds. And it's an amazing thing to see these men, in just in a matter of minutes, raise money to get things done. I remember one, one guy we support right now that's down in New Orleans, he's doing a church restart. He had to move to a different area, and he basically has to start all over again. He needed to raise $30,000 just for startup capital there. You know, guys, in seven minutes, we raised $30,000 for that church planner. I mean, it's amazing. Th seven minutes there. And then in terms of his monthly support, to just because he lost some support along the way, they basically raised another $2,000 a month of support in about seven minutes' time. And it's an amazing thing there to watch something like that. A guy to raise $30,000 in, in, in pledges and $2,000 a month of support, he has to arrive basically at any 
anywhere from 10 to 20 churches that are willing to support him just for the monthly support factor, which probably means he's got to be probably about 40 to 50 churches. Well, you, you spread that out over several weeks, that's probably like six months travel time just to get that done. He, they can get that done right there just by being represented there and being vetted out by the, by the staff there at, at Heartland Baptist Bible College. They vet these guys out, they qualify them ahead of time, and they present the need. Well, look at Paul. Paul is here. He didn't have any money. I mean, he just basically had to depend on, he had to trust God by faith. I mean, this is true faith promise right here. I mean, he's had to depend on God by faith to get him through there. But he wasn't there for those reasons. I mean, he only needed enough to get by. He was a single man. He only needed enough to get by. The main reason why he was in Corinth was to win souls. And where we left off last week, we talked about Paul having a burning compelling. Notice it tells us in verse, in verse three, verse four there, that, he, that immediately, as soon as he could, as he got his feet on the ground, and as he just started getting some little bit of stability there, he had, now he has a place to stay. He's got a little bit of income to buy his food and to meet his expenses, whatever he had. And he did what was, what he, what was common in those days. He had to have a strategy. Now, guys, when we, do, when we go so winning, when we do things as a church, we've got to have a strategy. You've got to have a place. You, you know, you've got, it's, it's, it's good to work hard, but you've got to work smart. Amen? You've got to work smart also there, too. And you want to try to get to as many people as you possibly can. I was just telling the uh, staff today, we just got some good news, and I want to share the church tonight, just so you can pray with us about this. And we wanted to do this. We want to do a long-term uh, after-school uh, tutoring-type ministry to go after uh, children anywhere from first grade or maybe, let's say, first grade to about eighth grade or so. Mainly is an opportunity after school to get these kids off the street and get them off their cell phones and wasting their time. Can I hear an amen about that? Amen. And get them from wasting time, get them into an environment where we, we, can, we can help tutor them in some subjects, but mainly we want to get the Bible to them. Amen. I mean, that's our main goal is to get the Bible to them. And it's kind of a scaled down version of a Christian school or a scaled down version of a, of a smaller Bible college type of thing where we want to get the Bible to them. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, we, we look at this opportunity that we can bring these families in and we might be able to get to maybe 20 to 30, 40 families from that, that we have a captive audience with, and we're going to have the parents sign off a contract that they're going to be on board with this, and they're going to understand we're teaching the Bible. This is not going to be a surprise. They're going to, we're going to teach the Bible to them. They're going to learn these studies. They have to learn respect. They're going to learn character. They're going to learn about the characters of the Bible. We're going to teach them how to develop, how a man should be a man, a girl should be a girl, amen? You know, we want them to have proper gender ideas. I mean, things like that, okay? And so we want them to have all these right, right concepts and things that are biblical, and, uh, you know, it, but what I'm saying today, it's just an opportunity for us to reach a lot of people. In just a few weeks, we're going to have our Easter outreach, and we're really planning a number of things out there. And I want you to pray with me that the Lord will give us over 1,500 people that we'll be able to get the gospel to during that period of time, and maybe even more that we'll have in, our, in attendance at all of our different services there. And so, you know, we, we try to find the way to get to people. So Paul, his strategy was, well, I'm a, I'm a Jewish rabbi. And I'm well, I can be well received. I have the credentials. And once they find out who I trained under, things like that, I, he said, I'll get an audience. And so what they did was, visiting rabbis, they would, go to, they would find a synagogue. They would go to the synagogue and they would, just, they would sit down and there'd be the teaching. And then they would open it up for, the visiting, for any visiting rabbis to come in. And Paul would take that opportunity to get up and he would articulate on the things of the law, the things of the Old Testament, and the Torah, and so forth like that. And then Paul would weave the gospel right into that. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, he went to the synagogue of the Jews... And he reasoned with them. Now the word reason means this. He sat, he got there, and he taught, and he answered questions. There are questions and answers. Now, you want to find a context for adult growth groups. Right, there it is, right there. There's a context for adult growth groups right there in verse 4. He got up there, and he answered questions. He helped them understand, how do you, how do you reach people? So he got up there, and he started, he started with the Old Testament. He gave Old Testament prophecy, and he weaved his way to the New Testament, talked about Jesus fulfilled all that. And, you know, he had a captive audience there. And so Paul is reasoning with them. He's helping the, He's driving home the doctrine. He's getting these people to understand. He's, he's getting them to interact with them so they can understand. And notice verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue. Notice every Sabbath. Now, he made a point. I'm going to do this every week. Now, he hasn't started church yet. Remember, now church meets on the first day of the week. Amen? We meet on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. But he had to have an outreach opportunity. There were great crowds of Jews that assembled in the synagogue. And so he went over there. And uh, basically, he, he, got, he, got to, he started to reason with them. So he went there every Sabbath. So Paul is now, he's got this burning compelling in him to reach these Jews here. So he reasons in the synagogue every Sabbath. And the Bible says, as time went along, 
He, it, the emphasis of his witnessing was that he persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. I mean, he was burdened. He was compelled in his heart. I'm reminded of the story, I probably have told this here before. I'm reminded of the story of, a, of a, a one day that uh, on the ocean beach that there were, there were just uh, all these, these sea animals that had been washed ashore. And mainly there were a lot of starfish that had been washed ashore. And this man was walking the beach early one morning with his dog and kind of just watching. And there, just way far from him, about a few hundred yards away, he saw an object of, of, of of a, of a little, looked like a little boy that was picking up these, these, these starfish and he's chucking them into the ocean. He's chucking them in the ocean there. So as the man got a little bit closer, he noticed that this boy was just walking, he's just walking the span of the, of, of the beach here and he's picking up a starfish and he's chucking to the water. Grabs another one, he chucks into the water. Grabs another one, he chucks in the water. And he yells out to the little boy, hey, little boy, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm trying to get these starfish back in the water. And the man looked around the whole beach. I mean, it's covered with starfish over there. Almost like an impossible task. And he says, so, he said, little boy, this beach is filled with dying starfish. Do you really think you can make a difference? And the little boy picked up one. He says, it makes a difference to this one. And he tucked into the water. And I remind you, we may not be able to get to everybody. It makes a difference, though, to the one that you do get to. It does make a difference there. And so Paul just decided, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to make a difference in reaching people with the gospel. He was compelled there. Well, notice this. The Bible says in verse 4, he was persuading the Jews and the Greeks. Now, the emphasis there, he's reaching more Jews than he is the Greeks because he's burdened for them. And so it's going on. We don't know how many Sabbath days have gone by. And I'll be honest with you, I think he was a little antsy over a period of time because as we read verses 4, 5, 6, we're not, we're not told of anyone converting over to Christianity, no one making a profession of faith. And so Paul is just, you know, he's pretty urgent there. I mean, he was just kind of persuading them. He's just basically telling listen, if you don't get saved today, you're going to die and go to hell. You need to get saved right now. And he's just convincing them of all that. Well, notice here, we get to verse 5, and the Bible says here that Paul now, we see him from being this place having burning compelling notice we see in verses five and six paul presents to us a blameless conscience and as we get to verse five something kicks up in paul paul was there by himself the rest of his team was still up in macedonia now you say what were they doing in macedonia well you have to read first and second first thessalonians to understand that they and, and philippians they were basically the churches in thessalonica they were grounding them in the faith and Paul said, okay, Timothy, uh, Silas, you have a little bit more patience than me. And he says, I got to keep going. He says, you stay here and you ground these believers. That's good. That's why, you have a, that's why you have a team, okay? That's why you have a team. I mean, we work off those temperaments, okay? And so he said, you guys stay there and get them grounded a little bit. And we read about that in Thessalonians, especially 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Well, they make their way, follow me now, they make their way down here to verse 5. Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia. Now, there's a verse, I think it's in, in 2 Corinthians 11, where it says that Silas and Timothy, when they came to him, they brought him a gift from the believers of Macedonia. Now, I believe that that was kind of really the start of Faith Promise Missions because as Silas and Timothy came, Paul was encouraged to see his good friends. I mean, he was glad for Achille and Priscilla, but he was just really thankful to see Silas and Timothy there. And what really gave him a shot in the arm was when they said, hey, we just want you to know the believers there at Macedonia, they sent us with a gift that they, we wanted to give to you, and this gift here is just to help the ministry that we have here. And something about that just kind of gave Paul a new shot in the arm. And what you notice, verse 5, Paul here is just, now he's, he's, re, he's re-energized about serving God, re-energized about preaching the gospel. And bear in mind, he's in those early stages of, of preaching the gospel. He's got more time to preach the gospel and win people to Christ and doesn't have to worry about the follow-up at that moment in time because he's just trying to focus on getting people saved. And the Bible says in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit. Now, that word press the Spirit is the same word we have, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, where it says, the love of Christ constraineth us. He was feeling an urgent pressure in his heart to get the gospel more. The Bible says Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. I mean, Paul, at that moment in time, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, and he felt an urgency. I've got to preach even harder. I've got to do even more. And he must have been weary. He must have been tired. The Bible tells us that every place he went to, he labored day and night. That 
That means he basically, he preached the gospel, and then at nighttime probably, he probably bought tents together. He made some tents and sewed them together and sewed them during the daytime. All of these things. I mean, he was busy just throughout the day. And the Bible says he was pressing the Spirit, and he's urgently trying to get people saved. And notice in verse 5, he's testifying to them. He's sharing with them that Jesus saves. They need to get saved. I mean, he's telling everybody he possibly can't. And honestly, when every time I read verse 5, it puts me to shame, and I think puts all of us to shame, that we don't work as hard as Paul did. I mean, Paul was urgently working, giving himself all, totally over to the gospel ministry. We get to verse 6, and here's the reaction that the, Jew, that the Greeks have towards him, the Jews have towards him. The Bible says this, he testified to them that Jesus was Christ. Words, he's telling them, he is the Messiah, he is God, he died for your sins, he rose again from the dead. And the Bible says, when they hurt, the Bible says, when they oppose themselves and blaspheme. Now, the first thing we see as we look at that, that we see a resistance that Paul gets. He's now getting for the very first time a major resistance, or at least we have mentioned here, the major resistance that Paul gets. Now, the longer we're out so winning, and just to be honest with you, the longer we stay here in the in city of San Leandro and the Bay Area, you're gonna encounter resistance. You're going to encounter people that just give you pushback. They, it's not that they don't have intelligent questions, but they're just some that are reserved in their mind. They're tired of people knocking on their doors. They're tired about hearing the gospel. They're tired of someone telling them what to do, and they just basically don't want to hear it. And the Bible says these people oppose themselves and blaspheme. Now let me give you a thought here about that tonight, about this resistance. When people resist the gospel, they oppose God. And when people resist the gospel, they also oppose themselves. You can be your own worst enemy by rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are your own worst enemy by rejecting the gospel. And then when they do these things, they contradict themselves. Uh, beginning of the year, I had a, a target list, and I'm working, just winning away this target list. And uh, we had one of our missionaries that was here, and I brought a man in. I said, hey, why don't you and your, your, your spouse come meet with us on Saturday? They met us here Saturday afternoon about 4 o'clock. had the missionary with us, and maybe it was a little bit earlier than that. And my wife was there. It was about five or six of us there. And we, we, we earnestly witnessed to this man who's been coming to our church for several months. He's not saved, and he's just basically he doesn't profess to be atheist, doesn't profess to be agnostic, but he just made a bunch of, bunch of statements. And, of course, if you ever get with anybody, you don't have to ever be intimidated by somebody who, who, who's against the gospel because they always contradict themselves. They don't have any they just tell you what's off the top of their head. And a lot of it is conceitedness and arrogance, to be quite honest with you. They really don't know what they're talking about. And this man's highly educated. I mean, he's got a doctor's degree and all these kind of things. He's very highly educated. But the more he started talking, he was contradicting himself. And if it wasn't me, it was, the, it was the missionary, we would stop and say, wait a minute, you said this, but this is what you said right before that. You're contradicting yourself. What are you talking about? That's what this is talking about here. They were opposing themselves. They were in opposition to the gospel. They were in opposition to someone loving them and trying to reach them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you tonight. You might be working with a family member that's not saved, neighbors not saved, a school friend that's not saved, whoever it is. Don't get discouraged. They're opposing themselves. They may, you may look like they're opposed to you, but they're opposing themselves. But worse than that, notice in verse, verse 6, about verse 5, it says, verse 6, it says, when they oppose themselves, they also blaspheme. They showed irreverence and disrespect to God. Now, this is what this man told me, and my wife, my wife was in the room, in the mystery room. Here's what he said. He said, well, you know what? I, I really, I, he says, really, I, I don't think Jesus was God. And I don't really, and I'm really, he says, really, I, I just think that uh, I know as much as him. And I'm thinking, man, you're blaspheming Jesus here. You better stop right now, son. I mean, you better stop right now. And uh, you, you'll have that. People will blaspheme the name of Christ and blaspheme uh, Christianity and blaspheme his word and the Holy Spirit and God's messenger. But regardless of what it is, the Bible says here, Paul got some setback. Now, I'll be honest with you, Paul, Paul probably had a very fiery spirit, but that hurt Paul. That hurt Paul that these people oppose themselves and they, and they, they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And so notice, Paul, we see Paul as he, as he did so. Notice how Paul exercises responsibility. Now, when you think about your conscience and mine as we share the gospel, it's, it's utterly and completely important that we have a blameless conscience when it comes to the gospel. One of the reasons why we push soul winning and we push preaching the gospel is we need to have a blameless conscience before this whole area. God will hold us accountable for this area. God holds us accountable for the people that come our way. And here's what Paul said. As a blaspheme, the Bible says he shook his raiment. Now, shake his raiment is something that Jesus talked about as part of his training that he gave his disciples. You know, basically just, you know, shaking your, and basically was saying, you know what, okay, you won't receive it, so now I'm putting you into God's hands. And it basically was a way of saying, you are now, 
you're now subject to the judgment of God. You've disrespected God. You're showing irreverence to his word. You're blaspheming God. And he's shaking his raiment, basically saying, okay, I'm going to just tell you by symbolically from the shaking of my raiment that you're subject to the judgment of God. Basically, what you're, this is an act of repudiation. Paul, when he shook his raiment, basically was telling them symbolically, I'm repudiating what you're doing. I'm not accepting it. I'm not coming on board with it. I'm, not, I'm going to let you know right now from the shaking of my raiment that what you're doing is wrong. And then he said this to them, which was very frightening. He shook his raiment, and the Bible says, he said this, your blood be upon your own heads. In other words, I've done what I need to do. My hands are clean. Brethren, he's talking about Ezekiel 33 and the watchman and the importance of you and I having clean hands and not bloody hands because it has the idea there of a watchman being on a watchtower as he's watching if he doesn't warn the city that they're in danger the blood of every occupant in that city is on his hands but if he's warned everyone whatever they do with the message is up to them but as long as he's warned everyone their blood is not on his hands and his hands are clean beloved if we don't take advantage of this Easter musical if we don't take advantage of getting invitation to invite people to church and getting the gospel to them and trying to do everything we can I realize we're all busy but listen, God weaves these opportunities for us to get the gospel people. If we don't take advantage of that, listen, their blood is on our hands. I made a call yesterday with my wife. And we were talking to this family. And um, for whatever reason, the Lord let the little girl who's about four or five years old come walk up to me with her little iPad and she wanted to show me her pictures. And uh, she said, look at here. And I thought, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. And so um, I started conversing with her, and she conversed back, and I made sure her mother was right there. So you think I was some kind of strange stranger talking to her kid, because I won't do something like that, amen, you know? And so, so um, I asked my wife, I said, do you have a track in your purse? She said, no. So I said, hold on, let me run to my car real quick. I went to my car, grabbed a track. And uh, we, we gave it to the mother, started witnessing to the mother, talking to the mother. And then her husband finally came along. We witnessed to them. He said, hey, we're real close by. Why don't you come to our church and visit us? And we explained the gospel. And I always tell people this. Whenever you give a track, I always tell them this. Hey, look at this. Because they're always looking at the pictures. You know how people are? They're like looking at pictures, okay? And they want to see who's the picture and things like that. And, and you know, like, where's, where's Waldo? Things like that there, you know? And so they're looking at the pictures there. And, um, and they want to see what's on there. And I always turn to the back. I said, okay, now, okay, that's all good stuff. But I said, I want you to read the back. Now, read this. This is what I tell them. Read the back of this. It's the most important thing you'll read. It'll tell you how you can be 100% sure you're going to heaven. Do me a favor. You probably don't have time for me to talk with you about it right now, but I want you to this. Would you read this and then call me after you've read it and tell me, here's my number here, call me and tell me what you think about this, okay? That's just a good line you'll get. And you know, if you work the law of numbers, somebody will eventually call you and say, I did read it. I have some questions. I want to ask you about that. My wife and I, we made a call. We, were, we asked my church member. They said, would you, earlier this year, it was about four weeks ago, went to visit a lady not too far from here her husband, and uh, they're having some health trials, and they're not saved. They've, they've been to a service. I've preached at here and there, but they, they, they're just very, they very strongly said they're not interested in the gospel, but the Lord opened a door, and the church member said, I think it's, my sister's ready. Would you come and, and visit with them? I said, sure we can. So we went to go see that sister and talk to her, and the man, they were just so open about things. Well, my wife has been following up with her and talking with this lady, and she's just been very open, and just God's been just working some things there, and these people are not saved. And this is what the lady she said to my wife. She said, when you and your husband have time, could you come over? We bought that that Bible from my sister from your church. She said, we're reading it, but we don't understand it. Would you come over and teach us how to read the Bible so we get some out of it? I'm just saying, you know, that you just got to be there. Amen. You just got to be there and, you know, just thank God. Hey, I'm for this, but you got to use some of this too. Amen. You know, you just got to look for the opportunities to go after people and reach for the gospel. And it's out there. It's just out there for that. I mean, God will give it to you. And so Paul here, he says, you know, your blood be upon your own heads. He said, I'm clean. Now I want to ask you a question. Are your hands clean? Are you clean? He said, my hands are clean. You know, one of the conflicts we have being in this world, being in school, having associations, having businesses, having engagements, and protocols, and we have to follow these personality protocols and things like that. One of the challenges we have, a lot of those things that we feel that we have to follow impede us and may, frankly, inhibit us from getting the gospel to people. And quite honestly, we need to just ask God to remove those self-imposed barriers. Amen? They're self-imposed barriers. And get a boldness like Paul, like he did here, 
And he says, you know, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. And we realize that we just cannot keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Now, I'm thankful for 11th hour conversion. But, man, listen, we're not going to build a church on just 11th hour conversion. Amen. I'm saying to you tonight, guys, we have to be busy about the business of the king. And Paul, if you notice here, he had a blameless conscience. He said, your blood be upon your own heads. And I'm saying this evening, as we look at this, Paul was sounding the alarm. He was in the synagogue. He was preaching. He was reasoning. He was persuading. He was helping with that. So we see Paul had a blameless conscience there. But notice another thing tonight. Now, Paul's been there several weeks. Notice verse, verse 7. He can't be in the synagogue anymore. They've had a face-to-face confrontation. <laughs> and he's gotten up and he's just basically said, your blood be upon your own hands. I'm clean. So basically he knew he couldn't stay there anymore. Otherwise he's going to get stoned or they're, just, they're not going to let him in there. So Paul had to leave. And notice verse 7. He departed thence and entered to a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. Now I don't know if you've been like me many times where I've read that verse very quickly and didn't really digest really what's going on. I want you to understand what's going on. Paul didn't have a meeting place. Now listen, if you're a church planner, if you're, if you're trying to do a meeting, if you don't have a meeting place, it's a little bit daunting, okay? I'm thankful, by the way, I'm thankful for our buildings, amen? I'm thankful we got a meeting place. I'm thankful we got lots of meeting places in our church, amen? I can still remember the day we were down in downtown Oakland. We are at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center there, and, uh, you know, we thought we had church, and then Friday they would tell us, oh, well, sorry, you can't use the building because we've got something going on here today. He said, what are you doing? We, we're supposed to have, we have a lease. They said, no, inside the lease, we told you, we can but, bump you guys out, and we had to scramble, find something there, and thank God that every one of those weeks that happened, God always had a place for us to meet. It was a little bit unsettling. We had these two 15-pastor uh, vans, and Basically, we would put the keyboard and all materials in there, and guys would show up at 7 o'clock to get that done, and, and we would move our chairs and things there and get it done. I mean, it was a blessing that we were able to do that there. But notice here, Paul, Paul didn't have a place, and it worked out. There was a man by the name of Justice, and it just happened his house was right next door to the synagogue. Now, that's a blessing, amen? His house was right next door to the synagogue, and, he's, and, and, and I had to think, the man basically said, well, Paul, I guess you need a place. You can use my house. Well, praise God for that, amen? And he said, you can use my house for that. And he says, come over here. So Paul went there, and the Bible describes this man justice. He's, he, this, God, this man worshiped God, and his house was right next door to the synagogue. So at a moment where he could have been very discouraged, God was keeping him encouraged. I want you to follow me tonight. Because everything in chapter 18, we're looking at a servant of God, a man just like you and I, who got discouraged many times, but God was encouraging him. Now listen, before you throw in the towel, before you make an abrupt decision to do something, before you just jump the gun on things, always remind yourself this, is this what God wants me to do? Am I doing what God wants you to do? And a lot of times what God wants us to do is just hold our reins, take a step back and say, let God work, and you and I just... Just watch what God does, amen? Let God take care of things. And God was encouraging Paul. And in one moment, he doesn't have a place to meet. And the next moment, this guy comes along and says, hey, Paul, I've heard everything that's happened. My house is open. Let's just move shop over here. You can have church right over here and preach the gospel. And Paul said, that works out good. And that was a great idea. I mean, you talk about God's timing and all this. I mean, all these people that he was meeting and they were used to him, uh, there, were just, there, were, there were some people that opposed themselves, but there were some people there in the synagogue that were very close to getting saved. They wanted to hear this thing. And if Paul had moved way across town... I mean, do you think they would have traveled across town to hear him? I don't think so. God worked it out. A man right next door had his house there. He says, you can come here and worship me, worship God here, and you can preach the gospel. And I think it's important that we read here in verse 7. This man worshiped God. I mean, this guy was not, this guy, this guy had a heart for God. So Paul did not have any opposition with that. And this guy was ready to get Savior. Well, watch what happens. Paul goes from this place of having blameless conscience. Notice verses 7 to 8. Paul now sees these born-again conversions. Amen. I'm just saying, he's gone all these weeks and nobody's gotten saved. He's got this major pushback. These people oppose themselves. They resist the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's wondering, I'm under, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? And you have to bear in mind, when he came from Athens, it was pretty tough at Athens too because he didn't have a lot of fruit there, but I mean, he still did. And so Paul's there and he's preaching the gospel. And notice verse 8, what a wonderful thing. Verse 8, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Glory to God, Amen. Crispus, we read 1 Corinthians 1, Crispus is now, later on, has become a leader in that church. Crispus stuck around. He was the chief ruler of the synagogue. I mean, listen, he was not the one that opposed Paul. It was all these other rabble-rousers that were opposing Paul. And listen, this guy here, he said, well, listen, if, if justice is going to open his home, I think I'll just kind of peek in there and see what's going on. And when Paul was firing away at the gospel, listen, whatever, whatever hindrances were there, whatever, 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 and, and you know, I, I think it gives new meaning to what it says over there in Revelation about, about the Jewish synagogues being the synagogue 
synagogues of Satan. I mean, the, 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 the lids were removed, and there was a liberty to preach, and Paul preached, and Crispus is listed there as probably the very first convert in the church there, and the Bible says, Crispus believed, and all his house, they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to look around the room for a minute. I'm going to tell you some things. It's a wonderful thing when a church sees born-again conversion. It's a wonderful thing with that. I'm looking at Brother Jesus Hernandez right over here, and I still remember the day, I think it was Brother Denny, there was someone that knocked on their door, and Angelica was looking for a church like ours. Angelica got assurance of her salvation here. And then, Jesus, you remember this? Your wife brought you, and this is back in the old fellowship hall, the metal fellowship hall there. And uh, that, that has some, now it was a challenging building, but it's some good memories there, amen, you know? And, uh, and uh, you know, so we, we, but he came there, and I remember him sitting down, and we were having lunch and together, talking a little bit. I found he was a landscaper in there, and uh, we kept praying for him, praying for him, and it wasn't long after that, Jesus accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. God's building his church. I'm looking at Brother Elliot right here. Elliot was a high schooler. Brother Aaron was our head sponsor, I think, at that time for, for uh, youth fellowship. And uh, Elliot got invited by another friend to come to, to youth fellowship there. And it was, was not long after that that, uh, that his mother had an illness and his mother passed away. And Aaron and I went that Sunday afternoon to be at the funeral to just represent the church and be a blessing to Elliot. And it wasn't long after that, Elliot came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, one of the most, most faithful members of our church right there. There. And I'm looking over here at some of these ladies over here that came to know Christ your Savior, and some of you back here that came to know Jesus your Savior, and some of you over on this side came to know Jesus your Savior. I mean, the Lord added church. I look at, I'm looking at just everything that God's doing. Marvick is here. She came to know Christ about two years ago out of a Muslim background. And I'm just looking at people like that where God has been doing in our church. I'm mean, actually go story after story after story. And I might preach a message one of these Sunday mornings just to, just encouraging the church about everybody in the church. I look around there and how people came to know Christ. I mean, you, you kind of wonder, is God doing anything? Yes, God is doing something there, amen? God's doing something great and mighty. Then I'm looking at old Brother John Meyerhoff here, one of our more, more recent converts here who just got saved and recently baptized. I mean, you look at here. The Bible says, Crispus believed in all his house. Now, it's one thing. Now, let me encourage you as soul winner. It's good to get somebody saved, but we need to go back and get everybody in the home today. We need to get everybody in the family saved. We need to get everybody to church and reach out. They need to know we care. We love them there. But it wasn't just Crispus that excited Paul. Look what happened in verse 8. And many of the Corinthians. Now, listen. Paul was patient. Paul was praying. Paul waited on God. Listen, if you'll just be patient and wait on God, wait and see what God will do. Man, he was waiting on God. And after Christmas got saved, the Bible says, and many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. Hey, guess what's happening? The church got started. Saved and baptized. Let me give you some names so you can understand what God was doing there. We have Christmas there. And then you read 1 Corinthians. You read about a man by the name of Gaius. You read about Stephanus, yes, amen. You read about Sosthenes, look a little bit further down. We read about Sosthenes here. Let me see here, it's in verse, uh, where's Sosthenes? Here, verse 17. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. Now, that word judgment seat, I'm gonna get on that a little bit later, but Paul's image of the Bema seat that we read about in Corinthians, there it is. That's where he got the image of that there for that. A lot of it you'll see here in Corinthians, I mean, in the book of Acts here. But Sosthenes, I believe that Sosthenes was here that was beaten, came to know Jesus as his savior. He's one, I mean, Paul mentions all these different people, Fortunatus and people like that, that got saved there at, 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 the, at the church of Corinth. I mean, it's a wonderful thing there. And, and you know, the joy of serving the Lord Jesus Christ is seeing Born again conversion. Thank God for people getting saved. I want to encourage you. We're in the early early weeks of our of our church. You know, get on board with soul winning and just schedule it into your into your calendar and then go out and knock on a few doors or or maybe just do like a good football game, good basketball game. Make an assist and help us to reach some people and get the gospel to them. We'll go on your behalf and get the gospel, but just help us with this so we can reach people with the gospel. The Bible says in Psalms one twenty six verses five and six, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy, and he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bring his sheaves with him. I want to guarantee you this, in verses 5, 5 through 8, Paul sowed some tears, and he's reaping joy now. He sowed some tears. He was, he was passing precious seed out, and he was sowing those seeds and reaping and sowing some tears, and God was blessing with people getting saved. Well, Paul now has the church going. The church is made, made up of, a, a church needs to be local. It was here, the, the, the church at Corinth here. Paul has confronted his culture, and people have gotten saved. He's gotten them baptized. So, you know, to be a church member, you have to be saved and baptized. So he's got a membership growing. He's got a church going in those infancy stages. But something, if you notice between verses 8 and 9, Paul has to have a vision from God. Because between verses 8 and 9, Paul is reliving what has happened at almost every location he went to. Every location he went to, as soon as people got saved or there was a miraculous conversion, 
there was huge satanic opposition. And Paul got run out of those cities, and perhaps the one that, uh, the probably that burned a lot of memories into his mind was when he was down there, Derby and Lystra, and the Jews came down and dragged him out of the city and stoned him and left him for dead. Remember that? And Paul remembered that. And Paul remembered getting beaten in there at Philippi. And he still had the scars on his back to show it. He still had the marks on his ankles to show he was in the stocks. And then Paul was run out of Thessalonica. And they told him, the believers said, you better get out of here. You're going to get killed. And Paul is still fresh in his mind that he had a lot of opposition in Athens. And he's still thinking about, you know, I had this opposition here in the synagogue. And I know how these Jews work. The moment a Jew gets saved, they're all going to turn against me. They're, they're, going, to get, they're, going, to get a, they're going to get a mob assembly come against me. And I think at this moment in time, Paul is discouraged again. Paul's discouraged. He's thinking, God, do I have to leave again? We just started the church. Do I have to leave again? Paul's thinking, God, we just started this church. Am I going to get stoned here? Paul's thinking, God, am I going to have to move? I mean, he, you know, the flesh is getting in the way right now at the moment of time. And the flesh is telling him you need to leave. And the flesh is saying you're going to get stoned again. And the flesh is saying you better not stay here. And the flesh is telling him it's better to move on from there. I mean, he's thinking, he's, he's being, re, you know, and his mind is playing games with him. And he's, he's being reactionary instead of trusting God. Amen? And you watch this. When we get under pressure, we're always reactionary. Whenever we have pressure, we're reactionary. Whenever we don't see what we think we should see, we become reactionary. And so we, and that's, that's the problem we have today because we're seeing this go full cycle again. We've got these young preachers now. These guys are now in their late 20s and their early 30s and 40s, and they're studying the church growth movement, which is not biblical. They're studying the church growth movement and these, these yahoos out there who don't believe the same thing as what we believe about the Bible. And so they're thinking we've got to add all these contemporary elements to it because they said what we do doesn't work here. And just said, I've heard this argument for 30, 40 years. It just goes in cycles every 15 years. It's old-fashioned pragmatism. And Paul's thinking, you know, they're going to run me out. And if Paul had listened to himself, talked to himself, he would have left. And he would have abandoned this baby church. And he would have abandoned those baby Christians. And he would have discouraged a lot of hearts. Hey, let me tell you something tonight. It doesn't matter if you just recently got saved or you're the, you've been saved the longest as a church. People watch you. People look at you. And listen, everything we do can encourage or discourage people. And Paul's thinking there, man, I've got these baby Christians. I've got Crispus here and his family. I've got Gaius here and Sosthenes out to get saved here. And uh, probably Justice got saved here. And he's thinking, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he was in the same place of quandary he was when he was at Troas, wondering, now what does God want me to do? God told me I can't go to Bithynia. God told me I can't go here. Now I'm back at Troas here. I'm all the way back. I wanted to go east. God told me to go west. What am I supposed to do? Well, he was where God had taught him he had to go every time. Listen, when you come to that dark place in your life, you're not sure what to do and where to go. You need to wait and listen to the still small voice of God. And notice what happens in verse 9. Paul gets a bolstered courage. <coughs> then, I love that word then, at the right time, when you need God the most, when you need to hear a message from God, when you know you're at your bottom and you're not sure what to do, then spake the Lord. Listen, thank God. It was God speaking to him and not Caesar. Amen. Thank God it was God speaking to him and not the ruler of the synagogue. Thank God it was God speaking to him and not some other, some other person there. Thank God it was God speaking to him and not the church growth movement. Amen? I mean, Paul is at this place. The Bible says, then spake the Lord. Listen, when God speaks to you, you know it's God speaking to you. The Bible says, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. He got Paul where he wanted Paul's attention. There's nobody around. There's no distractions. Paul couldn't go to sleep. Paul's in prayer. He's talking to God. And God gives him a fresh vision. You listen to me tonight. What I'm about to tell you right now will help you when you hit that dark spot in your life, when you think you're supposed to leave, when you think you're supposed to run away, when you think you're supposed to depart, when you're supposed to think you're going to leave your family, when you think you're supposed to leave your church, when you think you're supposed to leave your Bible class, when you're supposed to leave the place of service, when you get to that dark spot because of discouragement or pressures or you're just having difficulty juggling the ball or you feel like people are rejecting you, nobody wants you. We all get those dark places there every now and then. We need to stop and we need to let the still small voice of God speak to us and get the vision from God that God wants us to have. And Paul had to have a fresh vision right then and there. And listen, maybe I'm talking to somebody tonight. You need a fresh vision from God just like Paul had. 
Now write this down tonight. I want you to see the vision God gave him. We're almost done. Because God bolstered his courage. Number one, listen, Paul got a vision to preach. I want to talk to preachers tonight. God said, be not afraid, but speak. And hold not thy peace. Preachers, this is not a time for us to be silent. This is a time for us to preach out the word of God. This is not a time for us to just go into hiding. This is a time for us to go out and shout. Amen. This is a time to not to stop witnessing. This is a time to do more witnessing. The Bible says here, he said, be not afraid. He said, don't, don't be afraid of their faces. Set your face like a flint. He says, be not afraid. But he says, speak and hold not thy peace. Listen, don't compromise the message because everybody else is compromising the message. And don't compromise the message for a darkened culture. Remember, this message is about confronting Corinth. And if we're going to confront the culture, the culture needs to be confronted about the fact that it's a sinful culture. It's a darkened culture. It's a decadent culture. It's a depraved culture. It's a culture going to hell. Somebody's got to tell them about Jesus. Somebody's got to tell them the truth. Somebody's got to show some light in that place. Amen? Vision to preach. Hold not thy peace. I was talking to a group of preachers, and we were talking about some movements and shifts happening in the Independent Baptist movement, and the question came up, are you going to call out names? And I just kind of listened to everybody. And then the chief preacher in that group, asked, I, I told him, I said, well, preacher, I'm going to tell you, this is a few months ago, I said, I, I'm preaching this topic, I'm going to call out names. He said, you're going to call names? I said, I'm going to call names. He says, wow, you know. I said, listen, I don't have social media presence like you. I don't even care about the name. If I did, it doesn't matter. I'm going to call it names. I'm not calling names to, demi- to, to undermine people, but Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. That's what he said. He said, Hymenaeus and Alexander have done me much evil. He says, they, they've gone shipwrecked there. He says, listen, if, they're, if, they're, if their doctrine's wrong and they're leading other people astray, I'm going to call it out because I don't want our church to go straight. Our church is not going to go that way, Amen. So he gave him a vision to preach. He said, hold on to the peace. Secondly, notice this. He gave Paul something that he needed that moment. He gave him a vision of his presence. I'm with thee. Can I encourage you tonight? When you're under pressure, you feel like you're all by yourself, but God says, I'm with you. Amen? Amen. I'm with you. Lo, I am with you always. Hey, you ought to read the biography of David Livingston. You think you're lonely? Try being in the Congo of Africa, uncharted areas where no machetes have even gone during his days. He, he was the path. Amen? Wow. He was the path. People said, make a way. He was the path. Yeah, he made the way. He didn't know species. He didn't know about the snakes. He just knew every snake was bad. Amen? You know? Okay. <laughs> Stay away from it. Amen? You know? He's smart enough to know you don't eat monkeys and don't eat bats. Amen? Pangolins and all the rest. Amen? And you know, you have to understand David Livingston. David Livingston went out there to the Congo. He had had several men carrying huge bags of his books. Now, that's back in the day when we used books. Today, everything's on the internet. Praise God for that. Amen? He had 300 pounds of books, guys. Now, it's one thing to pick it up and put it on your shoulder. It's a whole different thing to carry it through the jungle. Amen? That's why Santa Claus is a myth, because he didn't carry all those presents. Amen? He was too big, and secondly, he didn't have a good back. Amen? I mean, you just try it. Uh, my, dad, my dad had a store. Dad said, go pick up the sack of potatoes. Now, when you're nine years old, you don't realize 50 pounds of sack of potatoes is pretty heavy at nine years of age. And it wasn't job security, it was life security I was worrying about, amen? <laughs> Do it or else, amen? Back in the day, how many understand that, amen? <laughs> Do it or else, okay? Man, those days, I'd relive them again because I'm, I'm, it taught me character. It taught me how to lift things right. But I learned one thing. You carry, you carry a sack of potatoes, 50 pounds, from one part of the store to another part, probably had right to walk 200 steps. Here's how you walk. You start like this. That's what you're doing. David Livingston, he told those men carrying his books, and he carried some too. He says, leave the books here. By the time he got to his destination where he knew where God wanted to want, you know the only book he had was his Bible. 
He took that Bible and he says, I thank God. God taught me his presence through my, the word of God. And his favorite verse was that verse, Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And where he was at, that was the end of the world. Amen. That, if you want to know what the uttermost part of the world, where earth was, that was it right there. I'm with you. Hey, friend, tonight God's with you. He's with you. You have his presence. Do you need a fresh vision of his presence? But notice something else. He had a vision to preach, a vision of his presence. But notice he had a vision of God's protection. Now, Paul needed that because he's thinking, am I going to get stoned again? I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Now, you got to remember, this guy's got the bruises. He's got the scars. He says the marks all over him where he got stoned. I mean, he was a mess. And God says, no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. You know, we, we're so safety conscious, and we should be. But if we're preaching his word, and we're doing what God says we're supposed to be doing, and we do it out of a right heart, that vision applies to us too. Amen. I'm with thee to protect thee. And then God said this. He gave him a vision to preach. He gave him a vision of his presence. He gave him a vision of protection. But I like this last part. Would you notice verse 10? He gave him a vision about people. For I have much people in this city. Now, thank God he got personal with Paul. Because Paul's insecurities, just like mine's and yours, his insecurities got the best of him. He's wondering, do I change my message? Do I water down my message? God said, no, hold not thy peace. Well, Lord, are you going to leave me? No, I'm with you. Lord, am I going to get stoned? No, no man's going to hurt you. Then he gave to him the bigger picture. Now, this is the bigger picture here in the vision. Because God never, and mark this down. If God gives a fresh vision, it always has this element. He gave him a vision about the people he was supposed to minister to. Now, listen tonight. There's a vision God's given us for the people of the Bay Area. They need Jesus. That's why God raised up. He said, I have much people in this city. You know what God was telling Paul? He gave him a shot in the arm and said, Paul, that's why I put you here. That's why I raised you up. That's why this church is here. That's why Christmas got saved and his house got saved and later on Gaius got saved and Sosthenes got saved and Fortunatus got saved and Stephanus got saved. He said, listen, I'm giving you a, a vision for people in the city and I want to tell you tonight, we have much people in this city too. I still need Jesus. And a bolstered courage. As I close tonight, would you notice one last thing? Paul had a blameless conscience. Paul said, Paul had born again conversions what a bolstered courage. But this blesses my heart as we close. Look at verse 11. This is how the church at Corinth got going. That's why I brought this message over two weeks to understand as we get into 1 Corinthians what God was doing in his heart. Notice God gave him a blessed continuation. Would you read verse 8, 11 with me? Read it out together with me, okay? And he continued there. Read it with me. He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. You know what? Previous to that ministry... That's the longest tenure he had in any ministry up until that point. I mean, he didn't stay at Thessalonica more than three weeks. And he got a lot done. Now, you read the book of 1 Thessalonians, he got a lot done. He continued there a year and six months. He, he stayed there for 18. What a blessed continuation. And listen, Paul lived day by day as if it was the last day on planet Earth for him. He taught the word of God. He was, listen, he was unheard. He was unmolested. He was unhindered by any means. He got the chance to just stand there and get the gospel to people. Listen, whatever time God gives us, take advantage of it and use it for the glory of God. So think about what happened for 18 months. And we don't have time to finish the rest of the chapter, but I want you to look at a few things. He got a lot done. Many roads were paved. As we study 1 Corinthians, and we will, he ingrained many important doctrines to them. Listen to this. As we get to 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, we see that he confronted the culture. He confronted the culture. I promise you this. I promise you this. There were some who had lifestyles that were sinfully unbiblical that got saved under Paul's ministry. He confronted the culture. He confronted. Because he said, such were some of you. Such were some of you. Lives were changed. Paul continued there. The theme of the Apostle Paul's ministry as he wrote to Timothy and others was to stay where you're at. Bloom where you're planted. Get something done. 
A church got started and God did some great things. Let me give you a thought or two and then we're done. If you stay at something long enough doing what you're supposed to do, there are powerful results that God will give you. All that remains of the temple of Aphrodite is its ruins, but did you know the word of God abides still? All that remains of the Acropolis is its ruins, but the word of God abides still. The seaport and the city, which were thriving places, have undergone a lot of changes and is nowhere what it once was, but the word of God abides still. You see, tonight, what Paul did there is a pattern for us. We can confront our culture just like Paul did. Paul got encouraged by the Lord. He said, listen, Paul, there's a lot of people in this city. I'm with you. Keep on preaching. No man's going to hurt you. Be encouraged tonight. Our Father in heaven knows exactly where we're at and what needs to be done. Be faithful unto death. Follow God. Do the right thing. Let's serve God. Let's confront our culture. Amen? Amen. And watch what God's going to do.